It's Learning to Listen with Quinn, Naomi, and Charlie. Oh, yeah. Welcome to L2L Podcast, aka Learning to Listen. Uh, today, we are going to be doing, of course, our Rolling Stones greatest hits of greatest albums of all time, excuse me. Um, but before that, oh, well, okay, hold on. <clears throat> <laughs> Charlie, let me do a little do-over. It's sure, a, try again. Here, yeah. you know what? Whatever, try again. Here's uh, here's a new thing. <laughs> hey, <laughs> kids! It's your old pal, Uncle Quinn from Learning to Listen Podcast. That's right, L2L. All right, today we are going to be talking all about Rolling Stones' greatest albums of all time. We're doing number 75, Aretha Franklin's A Lady Soul. But before that, patreon.com slash learning to listen hey a little thanks for helping us make this happen we've got a tons of extra content for you and we've started a brand new game uh we're picking naomi's brain and trying to make her a playlist of modern music so uh you know we're going to be suggesting a couple of songs every week that naomi check out and we're going to see what makes the playlist it's a little bit of a competition between me and charlie but really we all benefit so patreon.com slash learning to listen make sure you go check that out all right here's the opening spiel this is l2l where we're talking about music and the way we listen to music we're trying to engage with the music we listen to we're all about the lost art of engaged listening so that's why we're talking about albums and consuming the album as a whole artistic statement the way artists intended it's not a biography show but it is a pure guttural and visceral reaction to the music we are listening to so like i said at the top of the show my name is quinn uh, I have my co-hosts with me as always. You make him feel like a natural woman, DJ Charlie Scream. Charlie Scream. That's right. And money won't change your mind, but all access passes to new kids on the block might. Naomi Carmack. I'm jacked. Whoa. All right. <laughs> All right. Feeling good today. Although Charlie said he's a little salty, but yeah. maybe we'll get into that. Maybe we won't. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Rolling Stones, 100 greatest albums of all time, according to their top 500 list from 2012, amended in 2020. So today's album, like I said at the top, is number 75 on that list. It's Aretha, Aretha Franklin's. Why am I having a hard time saying Aretha Franklin's there you go. Lady Soul? All right. I just had to slow down for a second. You guys want to hear all about it? Tell me. Yes. Okay. Lady Soul was Franklin's third R&B chart topper and reached number two on the Billboard 200, tying with I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You for her highest charting album on the pop chart. Um, the album also included some of her biggest hit singles, Chain of Fools, and uh, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, and Sweet, Sweet Baby, Since You've Been Gone. It eventually sold well over a million copies in the United States alone. The album was reissued on Rhino Records in a deluxe edition in 1995. All right. Not a lot of great information there. Maybe I should, shouldn't always use Wikipedia for no, these. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Shit happens. That's anyway. Um, yeah, guys. Uh, so, Aretha Franklin, Lady Soul. Uh, let's get into it. What, uh, what what did you guys know about this album uh, before before this episode? I'd never heard it as a full album before, just the singles off of it. Yeah, okay, for sure. Uh, I, I assume you're aware I'm of Aretha in, Franklin. Of course, yes. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as you. Yep, pretty yeah. much the same thing. 
same 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 here um it's never an album that i that i'd thrown on all the way through i've definitely heard aretha franklin i've heard pretty much most of these songs if not all of them i've heard definitely you know all the singles mm-hmm. and some of the album cuts uh in various places over the years uh especially familiar obviously with uh the the singles uh, chain of fools and um natural woman um and man the number of covers that people have done over the years like i mean, like these these are standards yeah, yeah. you know that's covers, the covers and samples like samples, samples like, too yeah i noticed a lot of samples like there's actually a sample that's on a new kids album and i didn't even realize it until i heard it on here and i was like what oh that's always um, fun when that happens Mm-hmm. When a song starts um, or something, and you're like, "Holy shit, this is gonna be Eminem," and then it's something completely different. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's like you re- thought you think back to the days when you first heard a song that you always thought that that's how it started that song, but no. Like, look at um, "Gangsta's Paradise," for instance. Like, a lot right. of people don't know that was a Stevie Wonder song called "Pastime Paradise." Right. You know, like mm-hmm. they don't know that they think they heard it for the first time, then that's it. Well, yeah, that's what's always funny to me um, sometimes about like I get the people they're more familiar with, you know, the version that they first heard. Maybe when they were young, they didn't grow up with a with an earlier song. Sometimes the samples are more obscure. You know, it was like it was a hit on the radio in the UK, but we never had that hit here. But, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who's got their ear to the ground, a producer or whatever, looking for, you know, good stuff to sample might be a little more aware. Right. Mm-hmm. so i get that or whatever uh it's wild to me though like I, I remember watching the dr dre well i guess the the nwa movie straight out of compton and they show scenes of dr dre like composing <laughs> and listen dre can play a little piano and he can you know work his magic in the studio or whatever i'm not saying he's incapable of composing a song but they show him like writing the songs as if he's writing them from the ground up and not sampling them off of other records, you know? I hope our listeners can see all the air quotes you're doing. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, you know that's what? why I'm, I'm pretty sure you can hear speech. them. Yeah, yeah. This is the <laughs> audio version of air quotes. Anyway, yes. uh, yeah, so, so it, 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 but sometimes it's just really obvious, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. you can't even hide it. Uh, I mean, obviously like I, an obvious example I'm thinking of is um, like ice ice baby, right? Like, sure. <laughs> and the thing is that was what, not even like that was less than a decade after the original song had been released. I and mean, it was a very popular hit song. Mm-hmm. So it's not like people had not, could not, would not immediately associate it with the original song. And what's yeah. hilarious is that because sampling was still kind of a weird, dirty little secret at the time <laughs> that that he was still kind of trying to like, I'm sure the PR people are in his ear being like, yo, just uh, tell him to like, it's close, but it's different, you know, <laughs> and it's hilarious to me that he was out there being like, nah, 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 like there's goes da, 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 da. And ours goes da, 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 da. Yeah, it's so different. So <laughs> yeah. different. He did that? Yeah, yeah, you can find interviews of him doing that. So, Idiot. but we're not here to talk about you know fucking the master songsmith that is Ice, uh, Ice the Baby. star of the movie Cool as Ice. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right, Vanilla Ice himself. No, we are here to talk about the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. So, okay, this is everybody's first listen through, like intentional first listen through of this album, mm-hmm. and um, this one is going to be yet another one of those ones where it's like, shit, I'm just gonna gush. <laughs> So I don't know about you guys. Uh, but 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, there you go. There's your drop. I'm just going to gush. <laughs> I'm gushing. I'm gushing all over I this mean, album. Whatever it does it for you, man. Okay, well, let me ask you then. Okay, you guys seem to be having a little more hesitant. Did you not just fucking think this thing was a fucking slam? Like I wasn't hesitant. It was your it was your gushing that had me going. Okay, okay. so different terminologies. Uh, I'm going to uh, um, praise this album from top to bottom. Just glowing Mm. reviews all over. I like it. Dirty now that like we have it in that other context. Yeah, but I have a dirty mind. This is why. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I like this a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot this of variety, so too. fucking good from top, bang, out of the gate, chain of fools. I'm hooked, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the album just doesn't, it doesn't, like, I, it doesn't have a fucking dud in this thing. Not just the songs, but like, I don't know. It, 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 it It's just solid from top to bottom. Charlie, where are you at on this? You seem to be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I buy it as much as you. What? I think you're crazy. I mean, obviously the, the, the big, you know, the, the singles are the classics and there's no doubt that they are greatest, you know, they're goats for sure. But I wasn't sold on the whole album as much. I thought it was good. I thought mm-hmm. it was even great, but I'm not coming in with as much enthusiasm as you are. So you're a little drier. You're not gushing. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm, I'm, uh, Wild. Okay. I thought for sure. I mean, if I just had to guess, I thought you'd, you'd be way on board, but what's, what's holding you back? Like it's, there's some little things like for, for instance, I never realized that they had such an out of tune piano and chain of fools before. I did oh, not yeah. hear that at all. It's in there. It is. It's in the back. You can hear it like behind your lobe or whatever. <laughs> and I was just like, that's weird. I've never heard. I've never picked up on that before. I felt like that's on purpose. You know, I'm sure they they didn't leave it in by accident, but no. it was just like, what? Weird. Okay. And then uh, skip forward a couple tracks, maybe to like Nikki Hokey, which is a song that is good, but uh, Bobby Gentry's I like better. And she and then okay. Gentry did it before. Well, I mean. Too. Okay, so some of these songs are originals, but yeah. and none of them are written necessarily by Franklin. Well, she has a credit on a couple good, things. Yeah, Obviously, but like, she changes if you. You're not going into this album expecting a songwriter, anyways. I'm not saying. No, that. I'm expecting a performance, and a performance yeah. is what I got, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, but I, what about like, okay, are you about to say, okay, well, you moved ahead to Nikki Hokey, but I was like, are you going to say like, you didn't, you don't uh, appreciate her people get ready? Nope, that was great. As, much as, as Curtis Mayfield's? Mm-hmm, that was great. I, enjoy, I quite enjoyed that one. And I thought that was an interesting thing, seeing as how, you know, we were just talking about Curtis Mayfield, right? Yeah, we mm-hmm. just talked about Curtis Mayfield. So I thought cool. I always I always like to find these little, uh, you know, these little, what what's it called? Where it just like works out, just like by chance. We just talked about this guy and now here's one of his songs on the next album kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, okay. But okay, so all right, so right off the bat, Chain of Fools doesn't grab you because you're bugged by what you perceive to be an out of tune piano. I did not hear an out of tune piano on this though, so maybe I have to go back and listen. But I'm thinking if there's a piano in the room that they're using, they're doing it on purpose. Oh, for sure, it's on purpose. So I don't expect that there being would out be... of tune is a weird is weird because this is Jerry Wexler production. This is like Atlantic Records. This isn't, you know. Like this is not an ind- independent like little rinky dink. Uh, this is 
well, okay. Let's get into the production a little bit then. Um, so Jerry Wexler, uh, he famously uh, was a music critic who got into producing music, you know, kind of put his money where his mouth is sort of thing and went on to found uh, Atlantic Records. And of course, Atlantic Records being a huge uh, label, <laughs> having sure. some major artists, not just including over the Franklin, but later like Led Zeppelin, you know, shit like that. Right. Sort of a big deal. Yeah, kind of a big deal. So obviously the man was, you know, had had an ear, had some taste, you know, had a had a new talent when he saw it. Now, Aretha Franklin herself, she fucking struggled for years to get attention. Uh, she'd been on Columbia, I believe, Columbia or CBS or something like that before. And she'd put out something like eight or nine records that went nowhere. Mm. Now, it's funny because people will say it's because, oh, she was making this kind of like, I, I saw this quote, called it like milk toast dinner music. <laughs> and that makes you kind of gives you this image of like her singing like, you know, just kind of, I guess, pop standard ballads, but not like really bringing a lot of personality or soul to the music. And then, of course, when she did get assigned to Atlantic, she got to make Respect, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is actually an Otis Redding song, but she reworked it and that was a huge hit record. But, you know, it was Jerry Wexler who, who, uh, who you know, brought it out of her, brought her down to Muscle Shoals. They worked at Fame Studios. Um, I was going to say... We just did an episode not too long ago about Dusty Springfield. Yeah. Similar situation, right? Um, now, here's what's interesting to me, though, is that I was trying to look to see if I could confirm about the sessions of this being recorded at Fame Studios. But then it says that apparently Aretha only actually worked at Fame Studios for a few songs on that first album, Atlantic album. And that even though the musicians on this might have all recorded in Fame in Muscle Shoals, that she... Uh, that she recorded her vocals separately in back in New York. And that had a lot to do with the interference of her like husband slash manager at the time. Um, but anyway, so I, I'm not sure exactly how much got done. You can find some television footage from a little documentary that got made back there where they're kind of, they're kind of going through like, Oh, this is how we write our songs and stuff like that. And they're doing a little bit of session, but you kind of tell that they're kind of mugging for the cameras and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so it, at this point, though, after listening to that album, looking at the Atlantic roster at the time, listening to Dusty Springfield, um, I'm really going to put my trust in Jerry Wexler as a producer. <laughs> sure. Right. And this album, I think, is arranged so well. The instrumentation is done so well. So I'm going to say if there's what you're perceiving as an out of tune piano on this thing, that it's there on purpose for a reason. Um, that doesn't mean that you know, you're for whatever reason, it didn't uh, jive with, with your, your, what you were listening to, but yeah, actually. But, and uh, I just did, I just checked on it because you were talking about the dusty album too. This album came out, uh, lady soul came out the year before dusty's album. Right. So this came first. Well, I think Jerry Wexler started using as many of the fame players as he could. Right. And he's like, Hey, this place is great. Yeah. Let's get dusty um, over here. I believe this album particularly was the like third, uh, third crew or whatever they called it the third you know, group of uh obsession musicians mm -hmm. i don't think this is the swampers per se but like, sure could have, you know but you know same pool of talent from from the area and whatnot um okay well all right let's keep going any other criticisms you had you did you list them all like it's not that like i said it's a, 
all of it's good. Some of it's great, but I'm just not as sold on it's, you know, on, on, on goat status. Well, I'll tell you for me, I ended up going back and forth on this album, not like my feelings about it, but like, listen, you know, I, I gave it the solid listen to uh, like probably, I don't know, two or three times before I started digging in a little harder. And then I would go back and forth and I would start listening to one song. And then I'd, instead of like going right back to the next song, I'd be like, oh, but now I want to listen to this song. And I was clicking. <laughs> this is one of those ones. I was clicking back and forth. I got to the end of the album and I'm like, oh, I didn't pay enough attention to this song. And like, I clicked <laughs> back to, you know, other songs and, and then I kept changing my mind about I'm like, oh, no, this is the song where she's really using her vocal prowess. This is amazing. This is probably the best performance on the album. And then I'd listen to another song and be like, no, no, no. This is the one where <laughs> she's really showcasing what she can do with her pipes. I finally settled mm-hmm. on what I think it, it is. Um, but all right. So, Naomi, you and I are a little more aligned on this. You mm-hmm. just were just digging it from front to back. Yeah. I, well, first of all. I don't have a Spotify membership, so I don't have any membership to any streaming service. So I found it hard to get the album and put it together. I had to use YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if I listen to the tracks in order or not. Like, I have no fucking idea. But but I tried to make sure that I got all the tracks. Anyway, mm. I just felt that, like, I had always known she's a legend. I've heard her here and there, but a lot of times when I've heard her, it was like live performances when she was much older. She could still sing to the day she died, like, like a queen, but just hearing her voice and the tone of it and the, her abilities at the age she was when she recorded this How old was made she? me realize why she's the queen of soul. Oh, I, she's a lot younger. I wouldn't say <laughs> from this picture, she looks like she's probably in maybe her late 20s early 30s well she she started her career when she was about 18 i don't know when she started recording exactly but i know that uh that yeah like i said she started recording in the 50s so she had a like at the very end of the 50s i think you can find they released it eventually there's an album of her singing uh in church uh uh as a teenager that uh, they dated to 1956 because that's when it was recorded. So she was born in 42. This came out in 68. Yeah. So she was like 25. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Probably at the peak of her vocal, you know, actually, no, I feel like people peak at their vocal abilities probably in their thirties. I you probably, know, if you take it, good care of your voice and all of that, I think, uh, I think you can do some of your best work in your thirties, but, um, I can see why she's the queen of soul and why her vocals are so important and so legendary to so, and influential to so many other R and B and vocalists today. So, well, think about what was happening all over this at the time that she was making all those records, uh, for Columbia, um, where I've listened to them. I think they're actually, I think people are underselling them. I think that, yeah, maybe Atlantic was, you know, the right move for sure. Obviously Mm. she came out of her shell, so to speak, but like really the treatment that those ones earlier ones were getting were more of the Ray Charles treatment, you know, it's like Ray Charles with, with strings and stuff like that. Sure. It was more the song selection than anything. Her performances are still great on all of them. You Mm. right from the, like song one you can hear that like soul in her voice you can just hear the command she has you know Mm -hmm. her range everything it's just you know like 
I think they tried to release like somewhere over the rainbow, like a cover of somewhere over the rainbow was a single, you know, people are like, right. we've heard somewhere over the rainbow yeah, a million yeah, times. Yeah, like we grew thing. up with Judy Garland. Like why, we don't care about this. It was decisions like that that I think we're holding her back more than anything. So I think what she got from a guy like Jerry Wexler was the song selection more than anything. It just, mm. it was the right music for her and maybe the right musicians too. Instead of, you know, instead of more of a formal setting, you know, like like Ray Charles uh, records from that era have a lot of great like groove and soul and, you know, like, um, but the thing they also have too is his personality. Sure. And I think you can hear, you can hear the talent, you can hear the prowess of her voice. I, you know, I listened to samplings from a bunch of those records just to be like, well, what was this era really like for her? And some of it is great. So I think calling it milk toast uh dinner music or whatever is totally like selling it short you know, she's incredibly talented I feel like this was the perfect recipe to show off how great she is like it was just the recipe behind her really made her taste better than ever i guess <laughs> you know yeah, it's the it was it was just it's the palette, you know, the musical palette. But like it's yeah, you're right. It's like it's like you're making a meatloaf. It's like, well, OK, yeah, you know, you already know that like the fucking ground beef is like, you know, what you, that's the main ingredient. Right. It's like so let's say this is going to be a weird, messy analogy, but I'm making it up on the spot. If Aretha Franklin's voice is the ground beef. It's like, well, what brings out the flavor of the ground beef? You know, is like, are we just going to go corn chips and the fucking like like a little bit of salt and an egg or two and then call that like, you know, maybe that was the problem with the early record, but no, this one's spicing it up. This is putting a little bit of ketchup and some barbecue sauce in there, maybe a little mustard seed, you know, let's get, uh, let's get some breadcrumb, you know, make it a little, like a nice little crust on there. And then man, that's what the meatloaf you really want. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) rest in peace over here. (laughs) Yeah. Rest in peace meatloaf. Um, so, yeah, I think the thing that really impressed me too, listening to this as a package was realizing like, oh my God, like at least three of these songs on one album are not just hits. I think like all four of the singles that were released were for, were like for sure charted in the top 10 um, on various charts, but they're staples, they're standards to this day. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you were saying that you're like, oh my God, I that's a sample that I hadn't realized came from this album or whatever. It would make sense though that if you were in the pop music world and you're like kind of trying to keep yourself fairly educated, if there's any one album that has more than one hit single on it, right? Like that's an album you should probably listen to. <laughs> Cause that's a um, that's a well, you know, you can keep going back to. There's a song on here called Ain't No Way. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if this was actually blatantly copied or influenced in any way, but the similarity was kind of crazy to a Christina Aguilera song called impossible that she did with Alicia keys. Mm. Um, There's a line that's like, how can I, how can I give you all my love? And it's very similar to what she's singing in ain't no way that so similar that I, I I rewind. You know, I rewind because I'm old. Now that we're on Ain't No Way. Oh, sorry. Um, No, but yeah, but I rewind it and I was just like this. I don't think it was ripped off, but I think it's very heavily influencing that song, the Christina song for sure. Okay, well, I would say a huge influence on Christina Aguilera was Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah. Right. And there's a direct lineage here. Oh, huge. Yeah. 
Sissy Houston is one of the sweet inspirations and Aretha Franklin's main backup singer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and speaking of Ain't No Way, which by the way, I think has one of the best saxophone arrangements I've ever heard on a song ever. King Curtis is fucking knocking it up. I don't know if he's the, I, th- I think there's a, 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 a sax um, ensemble of some sort. Uh, there's a couple other guys on here, but damn, like that's because to me, here's the problem. Saxophone is one of those instruments that can sound fucking corny as hell, <laughs> right? Like sure. it, it can be its charm. Yeah, charm. Sure. Hell Let's yeah. say charm. Like, but like it's corny it, or it can be. I'm not saying all saxophone is corny. I'm saying sax kind of walks that fine line of like, you know, cool to corny. Like it's a fucking razor wire it walks on. Right. In my <laughs> opinion. In this case, I'm like, this is saxophone done super well and not like a solo, just like as, you know, a color in the arrangement. Right. It's beautifully done. It's just the best sounding sax I've ever heard. But anyway, uh, did you did you notice that Sissy uh, Houston's backup vocal on on that particular track? Ain't no way. It was like it was wild. I was like, oh, my God, that that's Whitney Houston's voice. Wow, like, really? I have to listen to it again to yeah okay okay. if you didn't catch it i would say go back and listen again because it's if it's it's mixed uh not bedded but it's uh it it's obviously like it's mixed not down so much as like they gave it a lot of room i think they were going for a big kind of uh to give it space almost there's a it's Mm -hmm. sounds like it was on a mic far away in a big empty room so it's a very big like there's a lot of uh air in it but if, if you kind of like take the layers away and just listen to that voice, it, it you you could have tricked me and told me like, oh yeah, this is this was re-recorded in 1987 and it's Whitney Houston <laughs> like or like you know, and I would have been like, yeah, that sounds exactly like Whitney Houston. But you know, like I'm like, wow, there's a but there you go, there's a direct lineage there, right? From like Aretha oh, Franklin, cool. you know, right to Whitney, and then I've yeah, if you noticed, if Sissy, you noticed. So- Hmm? It'd be interesting. I've never listened to Sissy though, so that be, I won't have like I would just obviously be hearing Whitney. Obviously, That's, I I don't know. Like I'm sure that S- Sissy and Whitney have sang together on several tracks, but I've never. I have no idea. Anyway. No, other than I just knew vaguely that yeah, like I knew like oh yeah, Whitney Houston's mom used to sing with Aretha Franklin, mm-hmm. but I've never intentionally listened and been like you know going like okay who's this that's sissy right that must be sissy because she always takes the lead backups on aretha's songs and then mm-hmm. it's like holy shit so and the only reason i'm assuming it's her is because it 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 it's it was like hauntingly like whitney houston it was i was like that's wild that sounds like whitney going for like a long trill on something like uh i will always love you or something right like you know those yeah. big long those big long swelling trills she would the other song the <laughs> whatever they've got that going like big basically in the background of this song and it's amazing um yeah mm-hmm. th- that this this album is uh is is it's just a crazy like well put together record obviously all the band like you know is amazing there's several people credited but uh I'd like to definitely highlight the King Curtis on the tenor saxophone because that worked real well. Interesting in the guitar department. Mm, this is something that I found interesting and, and enjoyed the track. 
where you're uh, going. Yeah. Well, it's, he's only on one song, but uh, one. I guess Eric Clapton makes a nice little guest appearance on Good to Me as I Am to You. Mm-hmm. And not knowing that the first time I listened through, it didn't really stand out to me. You know, there's nothing about it that I was like, who's playing guitar on that? Why is that different? Why is that different than like, say, Bobby Womack or Joe South or Jimmy Johnson, who are the other guitar players on this album? And then once I knew, though, and I knew to listen for it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's Cream era Clapton Mm -hmm. all over it. That's like uh, Blues Breakers fucking Clapton. That's that's his. Yeah. 60s blues noodling. Sure. (laughs) that's what that sounded like back then that's his tone that's everything it's like yeah wild i can't believe i didn't catch that the first time no i thought that was pretty sweet that that became one of the main tracks for me to like i mean obviously i've i've heard the singles before right and they're great Mm -hmm. they're you know what they're what they are but that was one that i was like oh hey this is cool so that was definitely, and then I, the first time I think I found out about halfway through listening to the track, cause I was reading a bit about, you know, the album or whatever. So I got halfway through the track and then I, I got to the part reading about how it was Eric Clapton. I was like, Oh uh, yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. I get that. Sure. Sounds good. It works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's, he's doing a good job there. It's interesting that I guess because yeah. Um, Atlantic being, uh, like, uh, being somewhat of a uk label mm-hmm. or whatever i guess there would make sense that so now i'm wondering if this is around the same era that he was working on like you know like because i know that clapton went and did sessions back down in like fame studios and muscle shoals like you know like layla was recorded there right and stuff like that so i wonder if this is just him hanging around or what was what he was doing in that like he's just sitting on one song you know kind of as a session musician i guess but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to know how much of that like overlaps with what he was recording and, and working on there, you know, mm-hmm. at, the, at this time. And interesting to see that he's got a, his hand in, in, in like Aretha Franklin's story. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, have you guys seen the uh, the the recent uh, biopic of Aretha Franklin? No, no. Well, obviously, it covers this era quite well. Uh, you get Mark Maron playing Jerry Wexler. Oh, right. I did want now, to I don't know that. if he does a good Jerry Wexler because I'm not that familiar with Jerry Wexler as a public person. I'd seen him in later years. Uh, I I remember I there was a special on PBS where he took modern uh, Atlantic bands and he got them to cover Sun Records uh, songs. Mm-hmm. And with very uh mixed results like kid rock doing wine spodiote i know which worked actually fairly well but then like i think there was like ben's fold five doing honey don't and (laughs) i don't remember what song live did i think they did like a johnny cash song or something i don't remember that working very well you know could you imagine like live singing like i shot a man in reno no i'd want to see them uh, i'd want to see them do like the man in black song well, that wouldn't be Sun Records, though. Black. No, but that's oh, not yeah, Sun that's Records. Right. It's got to be. It's got to. It's. It's got to be like. Uh, um. Oh, what's Sun Records? You know, it's got to be like. Um, um. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Because you're mine. I think this is one they did actually. No, I think about it. <laughs> I walk the line. Oh God. <laughs> anyway, so I saw Whoa, Jerry Wexler on that. He's like, he like a little old man at the time. So I don't know how his his mannerisms, you know, but he was talking about how he was very much inspired to start his label, you know, because of Sun Records or whatever. So 
you know, that, there's a pedigree of taste right there. But anyway, um, I don't know if Mark Maron does a good job or not. I bet but you he's he Mark Maron. Yeah, he's well, fucking Mark Maron. Of course he does. Well, okay. If you like Mark Maron and the personality that Mark Maron brings to absolutely everything he does, yeah, yeah, then then there It'd you be go. Good. good. Just shut up and watch it. Yeah, um, it's it's not a bad biopic. It's one of those ones that doesn't uh, doesn't sugarcoat anything. It's definitely you know it's definitely a little more traditional, and it's like you know she was a kid and she had talent, and her dad was like this, and then she went on and did that, and then she married this guy, and he was an abusive piece of shit, but you know he got her career going and. Yada, yada, yada. And then she struggles, you know, and then uh, the triumphant part is uh, when she makes her uh, her 69 album, the one that she recorded live in a church with uh, the gospel choir. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of the spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) That's not her whole story. Like, obviously, she lived till what, 2018? Like, she just passed away a few years ago. Yeah, something like that. Um, but anyway, that's what they use as kind of the, the big triumphant ending is her her making that record. Returning to the church and in, in, in praising God and, right. and uh, she recorded it live and with the gospel choir. So um yeah, it's a it was a good movie. It it covers this era really well. Well the movie is that she's you know, she's frustrated because she has a career but it's not going anywhere and uh she's yeah and then eventually she gets to start making these records and then that's what changes everything but right. of course with that success comes the pitfalls that uh you know of excess and uh and and uh and alcohol abuse and whatnot and then she makes a gospel record and everything's okay classic <laughs> um I, right i check it out i think it's just called aretha Mm-hmm. I, I feel mean, like I, I meant to watch it at some point, but I never got around to it. I mean, the music is is good in it. Of course, it's going to be good. Oh, I was going to say in the, the movie laser? too. I can't remember. Okay, um, I feel bad. The only the only celebrity I remember in that movie is Mark Maron, like by name. Okay. Um, you know, it's not as memorable as like when uh, Beyonce played Etta James in mm. Cadillac Records, right? Cadillac Records. But speaking of Cadillac Records, uh not that it really has that much to do with this, although <laughs> they were somewhat contemporary. The main sticking point in the movie is how that Motown is making all these great, you know, Motown records at the time, these great soul and R&B records uh, that are like blown up the part, pop charts. And that's the kind of thing she wants to do. But for whatever reason, she's, you know, she didn't have that opportunity to get like signed up with Motown. She's making her milk toast <laughs> albums. <laughs> and, uh, she finally gets to make respect with Atlantic and then boom, it all blows up. Is, but this, it makes, so is this the first album of hers that, that hit the top of the charts? No, no. Okay. Her first Atlantic record has uh, a, it's got respect on it. Sure. And then this, it also, this is the, at this point for lady soul, this is her third Atlantic record, I believe. Yes. Now, of course. So just like everybody to her, she, there was a little bit of a, uh, a sophomore slump, mm-hmm. but she put out something like three albums in two years, which actually was a, like, you know, we hear that all the time now. And we're like, Oh, how prolific. And it is, but that's also was a little more standard at the time. Two albums a year used to be the, the cycle. Now it's right. an album every two years. And even then that's kind of not as standard as it used to be. Um, mm-hmm. But no, her first album for Atlantic, which was uh, I never loved a man the way I loved you. So, that that had, of course, um, 
respect on it. It had I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You, which was also another big hit. Uh, so, yeah, like that that was the first one she started covering guys, more like Sam Cooke songs, Otis Redding songs, uh, that kind of like, you know, selection of material that really like, you know, she continued to hear. She had a little bit of a sophomore slump, like I said, with the next album, but it still did fairly well. I think that it was just kind of pushed out a little faster and then they were kind of messing around with like she did like a cover of Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. And so it just wasn't it didn't really hit the way the first album hit. People wanted a little bit more of that. So uh, that's when they, you know, they were like, all right, let's do more of the first one. And let's go back to like, you know, and then this one's, you know, this is where you get the James Brown and Curtis Mayfield and, right. and that sort of stuff. And then plus, of course, you know, uh, Carol King wrote uh, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Um, it was Jerry Wexler's idea for the song. He came up with kind of the basic premise of the song, the title, gave it to Carol King. And uh, Carol King, yeah, came back with what has now like probably one of the like, you know, like pop standard R&B songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Um I mostly remember that song from like commercials when I was a kid, <laughs> like <laughs> how many like beauty products or, or like all that sort of stuff. I don't know. Just, you know, like toiletry, <laughs> yeah. things. like even shampoo commercials probably use that song mm-hmm. long before I ever knew it was an Aretha Franklin song. I sure knew. I sure knew that song. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, yeah. I, okay. So I teased it a little bit earlier, but I wanted to bring it up again. So I think think I finally settled on the best vocal performance on the album. And it interesting enough, it's also the song that Eric Clapton uh, has a guitar part on. And that's uh, the good to me as I am to you. Well, because that's where they really lean into the blues part of it, right? Well, yeah. It's the bluesiest song for sure. And I think she really like, she does it all over the record, but this is the one I, where I felt like, she she gave the biggest like you know probably inspired from like her kind of gospel background mm-hmm. where man she just went up to like the fucking upper reaches of like her vocal prowess in that song in so many spots where you know it's like it's not she does not hold back at all um and she does have good dynamic range too she doesn't know where to bring a performance back in mm-hmm. and and you can you can even hear her like studio technique too, and probably from you know working in New York for so many years with like in a very controlled environment, you, you can hear and and notice her her mic technique. <laughs> mm. She knows when to like lean back and when to lean in. You know, right. like she knows where she should be uh, depending on what she's doing with her vocal. And I, I, if you watch live performances of her too, she's really good at that too. Like she'll go real big with her voice and she'll start pointing it kind of in that direction instead of directly at the microphone. And it really has a really great dynamic effect. And I, I, you can just tell, like I just picture her in the studio, just like, just really like, like working the microphone, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, uh, Naomi, like is, if you had to pick any one song that you thought was your, your favorite for a vocal performance, do you have one? Not really, because it just was it to me, it was so all good. Plus the fact that I wasn't really paying attention to the names of the songs because of the fact that I was listening to it on YouTube. Right. <laughs> right. So, so I was listening to it more as a whole. Um, um, so, yeah. 
but yeah, do you have any thoughts about the vocal performance overall? That's pretty much what I said earlier. It was just outstanding overall. And I can see why she was the, um, she, she's the influence and inspiration for so many of the today's divas. Cause she was yeah. like the ultimate of, of the divas. Yeah. She kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true for sure. Like a lot of what, you know, people are emulating to this day is a lot of what she was doing back then, you know? Yeah. Especially with like runs and such things like that. Just the control she had over uh, the vocal choices she made. I can see why so many of the younger talents refer to her as their influence. So, Oh, just head. I'm just reliving listening to natural woman and the way she goes from those controlled uh, verses with the backup vocals that are just like, so beautifully just arranged in behind her and then builds into the choruses and she's just moving up that range until she gets into the like the the you make me feel and you're like by the time she gets to that part you're just like you know you're just bowled over you're like whoa like this is it was like going downhill and picking up speed right it's like it's like putting the car in neutral on a steep hill and just letting it go and seeing how fast you get (laughs) and then all of a sudden at the very end you do have to like slow down put the brakes on and she brings it right back down you know like that's a song i had to learn the backups to because back when i was in grant mac in the music program Mm -hmm. we we covered that one for like everything is in that song not just for the vocals Instrument mm-hmm. instrumentation wise too, it teaches you so much about arrangement, uh, about yeah, just like dynamics. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a well, it's a well, it's a well written song. Yeah, but it would be interesting to hear somebody give like a just like a like a a very flat, you know, single, like say just sit at a piano and sing it. And and re- like refrain from like building any of those like dynamics and just keep it on a very like level kind of volume and 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 re- it would not have the same like it wouldn't have the same impact at well, all. I'll right? tell you, I'll tell you. Um, that reminds me because one of my favorite <laughs> covers of this song is by the Smalls. They the Smalls did a version of it way back when, mm-hmm. and it's true they don't have the, all the the exact same dynamic range. They still make it. They still do do a good job of it but they, it's not obviously the aretha 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 <laughs> quality i was waiting for that at some quality point. run um but so this isn't the first album that she's got this voice on though right no like, and i was even saying it earlier here's the thing is that she you listen to those first albums those mm-hmm. first like eight to nine records or so and you hear she still has this talent you oh, hear this, yeah. Maybe not quite as. Um, maybe the performances aren't quite as big, but it's still her voice. It's still her personality. I think it's what we were saying. It's that it was matching the material to the to, to the artist, right? Mm-hmm. To like really showcase and let them shine it w- is the only mistake. Like, there's good stuff on it, and there's good songs on those albums too. It's just like, you know, the 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 it's the it's the label themselves who are like, let's push the cover of, you know, somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah. yeah, You're like, yeah. Do you like, I'm like, listen, if Aretha Franklin sings somewhere over the rainbow, she's going to fucking slay it. It's still going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's still going to be somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah. It's like, you've heard it. Yeah. At that point too. Like when did that song come out? You know, like probably at that point, 25 years 
or I, I guess in the case of probably 30 years of, of that album or something like that, like, right. like when did fucking Wizard of Oz come out at like the early 40s, late 30s? Yeah. Something like that. Something. Right. Well, because so what, I'm, what, I'm, what 20, I'm trying to do years. is a lot of the time when we're going through these greatest of all time albums, mm-hmm. there's extra reasons. There's like this was their first this was their first album with a new label. This was their first time really cutting loose with a new style. And so this isn't her first album with Atlantic and this isn't the first time cutting loose with the style. I'm trying to find like if there's any the songs well, are good, but also's. You know what I mean? Well, oh, the fact that you've got at least three songs on this album that became standards. Sure. Also, uh, and that, that's not uh, that common. At the time, you know, you had a hit per album if mm-hmm. you were lucky. Maybe two if you were, like, really prolific. In this case, you had at least you had four hits and three songs that went on to be complete standards. Uh, you know, and then also on top of that, this is what solidified. This was like, this wasn't, you know, that first album wasn't just a, like a fucking one trick pony. It wasn't a fluke. Mm-hmm. This is the album that was like, oh no, this, she's the real shit. Like she's here to stay. Like she's here to dominate. It stayed in the charts mm-hmm. for over a year. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I guess to put it in that context, you start to see like, oh yeah, there's reasons that they, you know, that a list like this would want to, um, showcase this album is what my thinking would be um so yeah i mean and then of course you know it wasn't long i think this album was technically released at the beginning of 68 uh it was 69 when she put out that gospel album i think that's you know maybe like that that seems to be heralded uh you know i i don't know if there was any real hits off of it but it was uh it was like uh it was a critical darling it sold tons and tons of copies so maybe just didn't get any radio play because it was technically gospel music right so how much how much was that going to get played on the mm. on the radio back in the day but um, more than it does now you know, for sure <laughs> well there's there there seem to be more and more of those like christian stations popping up but they don't seem to play gospel they seem to play like all that uh like christian rock or easy listening mm-hmm. i'll tell you what i'll i would definitely take a gospel record over over that shit like i'll listen to aretha franklin gospel record you know sure so okay well since we've kind of gotten into that territory would you want to see what rolling stone had to say about it would they say yes have anything else to add they said so number 75 on their list aretha franklin's lady soul Aretha Franklin's third Atlantic album in less than two years is another classic with You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, Ain't No Way, and a slinky version of the Rascals Groovin'. It was a year of triumph and turbulence for Franklin. Although she made the cover of Time, the magazine reported details of her rocky marriage to Ted White, her then manager. But Franklin channeled that frenzy into performances of funky pride and magistral hurt. That's a weird word. Magisterial. Magisterial hurt. Magisterial. <laughs> Magisterial. There you go. That's how you would say that. Magisterial hurt. Among the best, the grand prayer treatment of Curtis Mayfield's People Get Ready and her explosive anguish on the hit Chain of Fools. So, yeah, that's what they had to say about it. Um, the thing I'd add to that is I was like, one thing that's great about this is a lot of this stuff is very anthemic and it's very affirming and empowering. And I don't necessarily just mean that in like female empowerment. I mean that just as like impersonal right. empowerment. 
you know, I don't think this is a that this record has one necessarily overarching theme or anything like that. But if there is one that could be there, it's you know, this is it's pretty feel good from top to bottom. <laughs> sure. But not just in the like a kind of like fun dancey throwaway pop pop way. Not at all. This is like very anthemic. These songs are very like you know, like uh, yeah, they 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 have a they have a almost a sense of kind of epicness to them mm. if that makes any sense. But and I found that you know yeah it's that's that's that's, that's all I would have to say about that. Anyway, um, so Charlie. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll ask you guys all this first. Does it well, deserve its ranking? First, I'll, t- I'll tell you that it slipped from, or sorry, no, it's gained. It's made some gains from last time, from 2012. Okay. 2012, it, it rated as, it was on number 85 on the list. So it's jumped up 10 spots. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, do you guys think it deserves its ranking? A thousand percent. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to see it here in this list where it is. I think it needs to be recognized for sure. I mean, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're the 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 kind of holdout on this one. It's yeah. interesting to I me. I mean, like I, I I like her and I like her work and I like some of these songs. I just it doesn't it didn't speak to me or do it for me like it did it for you guys. Like uh, I said, good and even great at times, but like hmm. So okay. Uh, Naomi, what do you think? Yeah, you said a thousand percent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All in. yeah. Chips yeah, on the table. I'm all in. So yeah, I'm in. I and it was cool to hear. Like like I said, most of the things I've ever heard from her were later in her life. So it was cool to hear how she sounded at that age. And wow, yeah. this yes. might be. It might be. I wouldn't say this is peak Aretha. I would say check out that gospel record. That mm-hmm. might be peak Aretha. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because that's where like she's really like feeling in herself. She's the most in control, and she's also going back to a bread and butter of like what she grew up doing, singing, you know, gospel music in church and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, her father being a uh, a, a preach a preacher, um, a famous one. He was like friends with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and and whatnot. Very active. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, so then Charlie, is it not going in your record collection? If I'm being completely honest. Nah, I, I, I'm going to listen to an Aretha playlist or have songs on playlists, but not the full, not this full album. Damn, I'm surprised because I was like, to me, even the deep cuts were the ones that I was like, oh, this is just as good, if not better than and than the singles. Mm. So obviously I'm saying yes. Hell yeah, yeah. I would love to have this on my turntable any day. Naomi, what about you? Yeah, I would. I would. Ah, yes, we got another one from Naomi. <laughs> that's that's a funny. That's a funny. So, uh, so so presto strange. change. Oh, usually I'm all in, and Naomi's not. Yeah. yeah well, you you said at the beginning of the show that well, you said in the Patreon before that you're feeling a little salty. Coming today. in salty, boys. So I'm, uh, I think maybe <laughs> something, maybe seasonal allergies are affecting your uh, like your judgment, sense of taste. <laughs> yeah, you're just you're just bugged by everything today. You're like, piano's out of tune. All right, well, that's a good segue into uh, what we're doing now. And uh, so, okay, so patreon.com slash learning to listen. We have started a new game. We started teasing it, but we've worked it out a little bit better. So now it's all, it's all fucking, you know, everything's a go. All, all Thunderbirds are go. Yeah, Thunderbirds are go. So this is called Naomi's Modern Jukebox. And 
interestingly enough today you were like you're all on board but you know you're kind of usually the holdout here and i'm like well we're listening to this old music and we're still not winning you over we know your bread and butter is kind of the 80s 90s you've got your own podcast dope nostalgia where you explore a lot of that or whatever but then you also seem to have another cutoff point that's happened sometime early 2000s ish you know like it was never a purpose like i wasn't like oh it's 2004 i'm gonna stop listening to the radio didn't go down it's, like that, but it's yeah, know, I get it. It's nebulous. It's a natural progression away from from what was being popular. Yeah. Like look, the fucking early two thousands and I would even argue some of the nineties, like later nineties especially, is kind of a cultural wasteland <laughs> for music, <laughs> you know. I love it. Listen. I'm just saying, like, that's the era of uh, of new metal, right? <laughs> so I can understand why maybe you started to get turned off of, like, the radio and new music in, in, in that, like, you know, that era. But but I kind of did, too. But I figured there's there's still good music out there. And I just wanted to, like, you know, help you out and uh, maybe, you know, explore a little bit of the new music out there for ourselves. And we'll make it a little bit of a competition. Me and Charlie are going to keep track of, of whose songs you uh you're gonna add to your playlist um Mm -hmm. so if you guys want to know what those songs are gonna be you have to go to patreon.com slash learning to listen and uh, check out the bonus content on every episode that we put out uh we release them early uh we release them with extra content and uh this is part of it so this is how this works uh we're gonna suggest a song each me and charlie to naomi every week and then she's gonna go away and do her homework and then she's gonna let us know if she's going to add those songs to her playlist, she could add both. She could add neither. She could add one or the other. doesn't matter. And just to keep it a little, you know, a little healthy competition, Charlie and I are just going to keep track of whose songs she's picking. So if you want to know which ones are going to be, it's got, you got to go to patreon.com slash learning to listen. So, okay. Charlie today, do you have a song uh, ready for Naomi to listen to? Yeah, I got one. You want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Sure. Okay. Well, and, and I know this is this is an artist that both Quinn and I enjoy. Um, the new album. There's a new album out by uh, a fellow by the name of Paul Cawthon, and um, this song is called "Caught Me at a Good Time." And that's all that's the clip Paul. we're gonna do. Paul Coffin, not Paul, Paul Coffee, the hockey Coffin. player. Okay. Not Coffin. Okay. Not like so a pine Coffin? box. Paul oh. Coffin. Okay, so and what's that song called, okay. Charlie? That one's called Caught Me at a Good Time. Caught Me at a Good Time. Okay, I'm going to attempt to play mine now. I picked a band that I kind of fallen off with for the last couple of years, but I was really into a while ago. And uh, this kind of made me, gave me cause to go, hey, I wonder what they've been up to lately. Uh, and it turns out they put out a couple records since the last time I paid attention to them. So uh, I was glad to see they're still out there doing it. And so as I was listening to uh, this one, I thought maybe this might be up uh, Naomi's alley. So this is a band called Lake Street Dive. Mm. And this okay. uh, band, uh, this song is called Hypotheticals. You don't know where it's gonna go. But I believe we might be Okay, so that's just a little sample there. Okay, so that was Hypotheticals by Lake Street Dive. Charlie's, yours was Paul Coffin. Caught me at a good time. Caught me at a good time. Okay, so patreon.com slash learning to listen if you want to know what makes it onto Naomi's modern 
jukebox. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. If you want to know what else we're doing, of course, you can always check out our website. Charlie, what is that website? Oh, that website is l2lpodcast.com. Right on. That's where you can find all our social media and all that stuff. Uh, And then, of course, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, We'd like to hear from you in person. We'd like to hear your voice, like the beautiful tones uh, of your particular timbre would be beautiful to our ears. And the way you can do that is by leaving us a message. That number is 780-857-8785. All right. So please call us, leave a message. Uh, It could be about anything, but, you know, talk about the album we're talking about, the albums we're talking about, the artists we're talking about, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll play them on the show or at the end of the show or something like that. That's how you got to do that. And of course, our hosts, uh, Naomi and Charlie, they've got things that they'd like to plug for you. Charlie, what do you got going on? Oh, I got something I'd like to plug for you. It's oldmandesign.com where you can get all sorts of podcast merch and T-shirts and other fun things like that. Just come on down to oldmandesign.com. We'll get you sorted. Right on. Naomi, what's going on in your world? I have another podcast where we talk to people who did their thing in the 90s and did it big. Uh, Dope Nostalgia. You can find the interviews that we've done. Right said Fred, Color Me Bad, Naughty by Nature, Biff Naked, Alana Miles, et cetera, et cetera. I've all been guests. So come check it out. Right on, right on. All right. Thank you once again for hanging out with us today. Uh, if you want to know what we're doing next week, if you want to we play do. along at home, we are doing number 74 on Rolling Stone's a Greatest Albums of All Time list. It's going to be Kanye West, The College Dropout. Whoa. So- Feeling topical a little bit, hey, with Kanye. Sometimes you know? it does that. This list likes to do that, you know. Yeah, it likes to sneak up on us like that. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. It's been a minute since I uh, really dug into any Kanye. So oh, yeah. we'll see. Um, and uh, just like, uh, you know, uh, people are probably telling Kanye when he's publicly tweeting about <laughs> his uh, beef with uh, Kim and uh, Pete Davidson. Like, here, Kanye, wrap, wrap, wrap it up. <laughs> I didn't have a good one for Aretha. I know what to say. I didn't have a good one for. I don't think anybody does tell Kanye to wrap it up. I think that's part of the problem. The music was fun, and then it got really dark for a while, a little bit anti-establishment. But the next Mm -hmm. thing you knew, it was totally fun again. So many artists came and went, and left us wondering, what are they doing now? This podcast isn't about the heavy hitters who are still making millions. It's about everyone else, the ones whose careers didn't really leave that decade, and kind of just still live in our memory. So you mean Vanilla Ice had another song? We all know what happened to Marky Mark. But what about the Funky Bunch? Who were the KLF? And why did Tammy Wynette record a song with an electro dance band that topped the charts? Two genres that specifically defined the 90s. What were freestyle and new jack swing all about? Did you know that Blossom star Joey Lawrence had a huge pop hit? Or that Alanis Morissette had a really hot pop career in Canada before Jagged Little Pill? Oh, too hot, never too cold, you make-
special guest will also be joining me to discuss the great era of glitter, grunge, thin eyebrows, hammer pants, and total ridiculousness. We're even setting up some interviews with some of the musicians that define the times. Okay, so if you're older than 30, you might be sitting here going, man, I totally remember that song, but I have no idea who does that. Well then, you better listen and find out. I'm Naomi Carmack, host of the Ultimate 90s podcast, Dope Dope Nostalgia. You're going to be busting a move again, coming in early 2020. You want to follow us so that you know when we go live? Check out our Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, or you can find us on Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. If you've got a question or you just want to be on the show, email us at Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com.